Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As a pastor, it is always an honor as well as a humbling task to prepare a sermon, a message each week to deliver to God's people, to read a biblical text, to to understand and study its meaning and then apply that meaning in our lives today. But it's particularly humbling as well as difficult when the meaning of that text is not primarily directed towards those sitting in the congregation, but rather toward the pastor who is speaking to them. Because that's what we find in our gospel reading this morning. Jesus' parable of the wicked tenants is a parable spoken against the religious leaders of that day, and so its primary message most directly applies to religious leaders in our day. So as a pastor, I have to decide then what to do. Do I stand here and preach a sermon to you about religious leaders? Well, yes, I do, because that's where God's word leads us this morning. But as we'll also hear... This parable does have something to say to all of us as well. But let's first understand what was going on with Jesus when he spoke this parable. Jesus was actually a couple days into Holy Week when he was speaking. This was after his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And as soon as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, the religious leaders were seeking to destroy him, Luke tells us. Their hostility, which had long been simmering, was now coming to a full boil. But they couldn't do anything publicly against Jesus because the people, Luke says, were hanging on his every word. But this doesn't stop the religious leaders from challenging his authority and trying to catch him in something that he says. And and that's how we find chapter 20 of Luke's gospel beginning. And this is then what prompts Jesus to share with them the parable of the wicked tenants. A man, who represents God, plants a vineyard, and that represents all of God's people. And in the Old Testament, this would have been all the people of Israel, and all the people who believed in the one true God. And so the tenants then of that vineyard, well, they would have been the caretakers. They would have been the ones whom the owner trusted to care for and tend that, what, with that which was his. And the tenants represented all the the priests and the teachers of the law and the religious leaders, all those caretakers of Israel. And so when the time came for the owner to call upon those tenants for fruit from his vineyard, the man sends servants to them. And the servants represent all those Old Testament prophets and and messengers who were repeatedly sent by God time and time again to call upon Israel for the fruits of faithfulness and justice and righteousness and innocence and integrity and concern for the poor and the widowed and the orphan. And so the prophets were sent to the vineyard and they were speaking to the vineyard, yes, but specifically they were also speaking to the religious leaders, those tenants, those caretakers. God, the one true shepherd of his people, had high expectations for all of his under shepherds of his flock and he called them to task because they were leading his people away from God. 
They were sinfully leading the people away, and and Israel abused those prophets and, and rejected them, and thereby they were rejecting the one who sent them, God the Father. So it's quite clear when Jesus is describing the actions of the tenants, he was describing the actions of the leaders of Israel. And the chief priests and the scribes, they knew it. They also knew that when Jesus was speaking about the son of the owner, that he was referring to the Messiah, the Christ. And so when the tenants, uh, when they hear about what the tenants said, which was, this is the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance might be ours. And then when they heard that the tenants, what they did, that they threw the son out of the vineyard and killed him. Well, this was more than the religious leaders could bear. But before they could even say anything, Jesus asked them, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And without waiting for them to answer that question, he said, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And so that was it. That was the breaking point. They yelled at Jesus, surely not. But Jesus looked directly at them, Luke says with the full weight of his condemnation bearing down on them. And he said, what is this then that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. In other words, Jesus was telling them that he knew they were about to reject him, but that he was the cornerstone. And he was the one who would destroy them. And crush the very tenants who were plotting against the Son. But instead of being convicted by Jesus' words and, and turning from their sin, the chief priests and the scribes would fulfill the very words that they were trying to renounce. Only fear of the crowds in that moment kept them from laying hands on Jesus right then and there throwing him out of the city and killing him, and thereby rejecting the Father and taking what they assumed was theirs by right. But in just a few days from that day, they would do just that. Because they would kill the Son. And by doing so, they assumed that it meant that they had successfully laid claim to the vineyard, to God's kingdom, to his promises and blessings, to all the things that they thought they could make their own without Jesus. And so as we think about the meaning for us today, again, I would say that this parable isn't a parable primarily directed toward the church, but rather toward the leaders of the church, because that's who Jesus is speaking to, the leaders Leaders in our day, of course, would include lay leaders of the church, but also especially pastors, those who are called to be caretakers of God's vineyard. And how easy is it for a pastor or any leader of a church to forget who the head of the church is, who the owner of the vineyard truly is? The more time that leaders spend working in the church, the more our sinful inclinations might lead us to treat the church as if it were our own. Or the more tempted we might be to find those opportunities where we can get our own way. Or the more we might forget the purpose for which the owner has placed us here in the first place. 
Unfortunately, today we see this happen in churches all the time. Instead of viewing the church and its people and its resources as all belonging to God, simply being entrusted to tenant leaders, too often those tenant leaders assume that the church is theirs to do with as they please, shaping it in their own image. And we see when these leaders fall then, for some reason or another, then the whole church falls apart. These also might be churches that prop up individuals' desires, a place for someone who who can come and have ambition for power and again get their way. Or it can be a place that resembles more of a country club rather than a place where the gospel is proclaimed. With all that in mind, Today is an opportunity for all of us, myself included, to remember and consider why a pastor is here in the first place, why I'm here, why Pastor Tom is here, why Pastor Don is here. It's not because this is our church. This church does not belong to us. In fact, it does not belong to any believer. This is God's church. He alone is the owner. There are no co-owners when it comes to God. And pastors are only here to deliver to you that which is God's. God's word, God's forgiveness, God's grace. And we are here to help steward this vineyard into fruitful living. Today is also a reminder that you are not my people. You are not Pastor Tom's people. You are not Pastor Don's people. A church's people do not belong to a pastor. You are God's people. You are God's vineyard. And again, I am here only as one who has been charged as a tenant farmer to care for that which is solely God's. And if I am a shepherd of God's flock, it is only as an under-shepherd accountable to the one true good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone as we hear and as we sang today. He is the cornerstone upon whom the church is built. And that's a sober reminder to me of my responsibility to you and to him. And of course, this is then where Jesus' parable, as well as this sermon, does indeed apply to you. Because as the vineyard, when you understand that you do, in fact, belong to God, well, then that can't help but have all sorts of implications for you. Because how often also does the vineyard assume that they are not under any ownership other than themselves and their own wants and their own desires? And if the vineyard thinks that it is ownerless or free to choose its own owner, or even worse, thinks that they are the owner, that they're in charge, well, then that means that that vineyard will ultimately be fruitless and in the end, worthless to God. But by re-grasping the fact that all believers, the whole Christian church, belongs to God, well, then that clarifies our purpose. We know that we are here to bear fruit for God. We know that as whether we are tenants, the, the, the tenant farmers, pastors, or lay leaders, or whether we are believers and and all part of his vineyard, that we are here to bear 
fruit. The vineyard is meant to bear fruit. So what kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? Well, there are probably many ways that we could answer that scripturally. But, but today I'd like to go through just briefly five types of fruit that as Christians we are to bear. First of all, and most importantly, Christians bear the fruit of repentance. We daily recognize our sin before the owner of the vineyard, whether we're a tenant who attempts to co-op the owner out of what is rightfully his, or we are part of the vineyard that's not producing fruit the way that we know that we ought to, our only response should be to repent, to acknowledge our sin, to seek God's forgiveness. And we then amend our ways by bearing that fruit of repentance. Second, and we know this from Galatians 5, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives as Christians should be lives marked with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When we, as God's vineyard, are doing what we ought to be doing, when the Holy Spirit is at work within our lives, we will naturally exude that which he works within us. We will look and act and sound different from the rest of the world. We bear the fruit of the Spirit. Third, we bear fruit by serving our neighbor. These are what we call our vocations. The ways that God has given us to to serve the people in our lives immediately around us. And we care for their needs, not because there's some mystical purpose or or something that we're earning by, by every act of kindness that we do. But rather, Christians are to care for our neighbors in what God has given us to do on a daily basis. Whether we're a parent or a grandparent or a child or a sibling or an employee or an employer or a community member or a citizen or a next door neighbor, we all have various vocations where we serve God daily by serving others. We bear fruit by serving our neighbor. Of course, fourth, we also bear fruit by sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. In those daily vocations, in those daily purposes that God has given us, we will be afforded naturally opportunities to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ who has come for our sake and has come to give us eternal life. And we as Christians want to share that with others. And that involves us actually opening our mouths and saying words to people. We invite people to come to church with us. We share with people the reason for the hope that we have within us. Holy Week and Easter, like I mentioned before, is a great opportunity for us to do just that with those that God gives us around us. We want to invite them to know the God that we know. And so we bear fruit by sharing our faith in Christ. And fifth, We bear fruit by giving back to God in thanksgiving our offerings and our tithes, which are our financial gifts as well as gifts of time and talent. 
We offer the owner of the vineyard that which is already his to begin with, in recognition and in thanksgiving for all that he has so generously provided us to use and to manage. We don't live our lives fooling ourselves that that somehow this is our money or our house or our skills or our time to do with whatever we want to. No, it is God's money, God's house, God's skills, God's time that he has graciously given to us, and therefore we manage it. We steward it in ways that will honor him. We bear fruit by giving back to God. Now let me pause here for a moment, because if you're now sitting there thinking well, I don't think I'm being as fruitful as I ought to be. Or if we as a church, after reflection, realize there is more that we can or should be doing, or as a leader in a church or a pastor, I find myself not being as fruitful or faithful as I ought to be, what then do we do? In the end, don't we deserve to be destroyed by the owner and cut out and replaced by someone who is fruitful? Well, the answer is... Yes, that is what we deserve. But there's one more aspect of Jesus' parable that I'd like us to consider this morning, and that is the character and the action of the owner of the vineyard. Because what he shows us is that he is incredibly patient and incredibly gracious. Remember when the owner sent servant after servant, all of whom were badly mistreated and they returned empty-handed, what then did the owner do? Well, he never gave up on the vineyard. After all the servants came back, he asked, well, now what shall I do? And instead of just forgetting the vineyard or, or demanding the land back from the tenants, the owner resolved to send his beloved son. And although his son was rejected and killed, it nevertheless showed the patience and the steadfast love of the owner. The lengths that he was willing to go in order to call back his wayward people. And so it is with God, our Heavenly Father. When we as pastors or leaders or when we as the church and all believers show ourselves to be fruitless or unfaithful, God reminds us that that's why he sent his son in the first place. He wasn't naive as to what would happen to him. He knew how mankind would treat his son, that we would drag him out of the city and crucify him, that we in our sin would attempt to lay claim to the vineyard, to God's kingdom, to all of his promises and blessings, to all the things that we thought we could make our own without Jesus. And when we sin, we do just that. Yet the father still sent Jesus. And although the parable ended with the death of the son and the judgment of the owner, the story of our Savior does not end that way. Holy Week next week ends on Friday with the death of the son and the judgment of the father poured out. But you see, the judgment is not poured out upon the tenants. 
nor is it poured out upon the vineyard. Rather, the judgment is poured out upon the Son. Jesus bore the punishment for all of our sins and all of our failures, and he died for each and every one of them so that we might be forgiven. And then after Good Friday comes Easter. The sun rose again. And because he rose, we now know that his sacrifice was victorious for us. That the great patience and sacrifice of the, of, uh, given by the Father was for us. And that all who now look to the Son and believe in his name will not face judgment for the sins that they deserve, but rather will be forgiven and welcomed in by the Father as beloved children of God, as sons and daughters of the King. And they, we, will be saved. We, the church, are the recipients of the patience and the steadfast love of God, we have been made his vineyard. And we get the opportunity to work in his vineyard. And I've got to tell you, knowing that we are here by God's grace and that we are put here for a purpose, it gives us such a better appreciation of the blessing it is to be able to work in the Father's vineyard. It is a gift to be God's vineyard, and it is a gift to work in God's vineyard, to get to bear fruit for our patient and loving God. And as we do, as we live our lives bearing fruit for Jesus, we realize something else. We realize that the Son is coming back. To the vineyard. This part wasn't in the parable, but Jesus told the disciples one day that he is coming back again on the last day. And again, because of his mercy and grace and the faith that he so freely gives us to believe in him, we now cannot wait for him to come back again. And this time when the sun returns, we know we will joyfully embrace him as we begin our eternal and resurrected lives with him. A fruitful vineyard indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.